This is a Federal News Network podcast. Sexual assault and harassment at sea has been a problem for cadets at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. Twice in recent years, it's had to interrupt its Sea Year program, under which students spend time on U.S. flag merchant vessels to gain experience. Recently, one mariner I interviewed said the Coast Guard is lax in dealing with reported incidents. For the Coast Guard's response, I spoke with Rear Admiral John Mauger, the Assistant Commandant of the Coast Guard for Prevention Policy, and with Michael Burkow, Director of the Coast Guard Investigative Service. You hear Mauger first. Let me just be clear about something. Sexual assault, sexual harassment have uh, no place in the maritime industry. Uh, And the Coast Guard is committed to uh, preventing these occurrences and responding to allegations within our jurisdiction. And we have a broad range of authorities that we can bring to bear on this problem, uh, both administratively and uh, through the use of uh, criminal uh, authorities as well. Well, can the Coast Guard, I'm just trying to get a sense of what you're able to do, say, at sea, if you know of any kind of criminal activity, sexual assault or anything else, can you board U.S. flag vessels? Can you stop them? And I mean, what what are the powers that the Coast Guard has? The Coast Guard has extensive jurisdiction over U.S. vessels. And when crimes occur on board U.S. vessels, they have to be reported to the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard has trained investigators that will respond. But prevention of these things starts well before anyone ever takes to sea. In the context of ensuring safety at sea, we issue credentials to the mariners that work on board these ships to ensure that they're properly trained and qualified, but also to prevent anybody that's been convicted of uh, criminal activity from joining the merchant marine in the first place. In your experience, do the captains or the high-level crew members of merchant marine ships, they're not giant crews. My understanding is there's maybe 10 or 12 people that can crew one of these vessels. Are they all Americans, American citizens, or can they be U.S. flagged but from another country? So on board uh, U.S. vessels, it's primarily U.S. mariners that are serving these vessels, and they're subject to U.S. laws and jurisdiction. And so if someone, say a student at the Maritime Academy, I guess they're going to reinstate sea year, and this is what we're talking about, the instances of SASH, that you know sexual assault, sexual harassment that happen during the sea year when they are on U.S. flagged vessels, and they could be anywhere in the world. If they report say, an incident to the academy, does that somehow make it over to the Coast Guard as a general operational norm? Tom, I'm going to kick it over to my uh, colleague, Director Burkow, who leads our criminal investigative services here within the Coast Guard in just a sec. But first, let me just distinguish between sexual assault and sexual harassment. Sexual assault is a crime. And when it happens on board a U.S. vessel, it has to be reported to uh, the Coast Guard. And Director Burkow and his team of investigators will have a trained investigator respond. Sexual harassment is not a crime, but it is a corrosive environment that undermines safety on board. And so it has to be dealt with through uh, other means. Let's talk for a minute here about the criminal aspects of sexual assault and what the Coast Guard is able to do. Michael Burkow, weigh in here. Tom, so the, the answer to your question is it depends. What are they reporting? And where did the incident occur? If they're reporting a crime and that crime occurred on board a vessel, then absolutely we are the responding criminal agency. 
it's a little different than calling 911, you know, in a, in a city. But if we get notified of a incident that occurred on a ship, historically or contemporaneously, we're prepared to respond anywhere in the world to that that victim and that incident and investigate. And the Coast Guard Investigative Service, our highest priority is sexual assault investigations. We have that responsibility inside the Coast Guard and for any commercial vessel, U.S. flag. So we we are prepared and trained to respond to these kind of incidents. If they're reporting a crime that occurs on the academy grounds, that's a different matter. Sure. And that's not within our purview. Got it. Yes. And, and the academies had that issue, you know, with sporting events and so forth. But we're just talking about at sea, uh, specifically during the sea year. And does the Coast Guard in the midst of or is it uh, required to develop any particular rulemaking with respect to this or any regulations or is everything you need, the tools you need on the books now? Well, from a criminal perspective, we have the tools that we need. Now, Investigating crimes at sea is challenging because you always get into what is the flag state, were you in international waters, how far were you off U.S. waters, etc. But U.S. flag vessels makes it pretty straightforward for us, and we we have the jurisdiction that we need to investigate and take action. Please remember that we investigate, then that case has to be presented to a prosecutor who makes the decisions about whether or not to go forward with a prosecutorial decision. They operate under their own set of rules and requirements that are established by the Department of Justice. But if we are notified of a sexual assault or any other crime on a U.S. flag vessel, we absolutely investigate and we absolutely submit it to a U.S. attorney's office for review and potential prosecution. The beauty of the Coast Guard is even if the prosecutor decides not to go forward with a criminal prosecution, a much higher level of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, we can take that case and then I can pass that to Admiral Monger and his team who can deal with it through administrative sanctions and using their regulatory powers. And how often does this occur in a given year? Do you have statistics on how many of these sexual assault charges get to the Coast Guard and how many are you able to deal with in a given year. What I'll say to you is it's a very low number. We don't get a lot of reports. We've done a lot of outreach in the last couple of years. We've done substantial outreach to the, not just to the Merchant Marine Academy, but to the other state maritime academies as well. And we've done a very aggressive campaign to try and get word out about the CGIS tip line, which allows people to communicate directly with us which you know obviously gives us an edge if something is coming directly to us and then we can respond quickly. But it's a challenging environment. These ships are moving around. They're, they're all around the world. They're in port for very short periods of time. So we, we do not get a substantial number of reports. We're speaking with Michael Burkow, Director of the Coast Guard Investigative Service, and with Rear Admiral John Mauger, the Assistant Commandant of the Coast Guard for Prevention Policy. To your knowledge, the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy only places cadets on U.S. flagged vessels. I don't think they can put them on, say, a Panamanian or United Arab Emirates type of vessel or some other nation. No, my understanding is there are a wide variety of vessels from... You know, the Alaskan Marine Highway System to Maersk ships to, you know, different a whole range of, of shipping lines. So I think it's a wide variety, but they're U.S. flag. Maersk, for example, big international company, but they have subsidiaries with flags and probably a dozen nations. I don't know how, how many uh, nations they have subsidiaries, but they have a subsidiary here in the U.S. Sure. All right. So then there was this major National Academy of Public Administration report that came out about the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, USMMA. Coast Guard was not the subject of that study, but it sounds like the Coast Guard and the Academy have a pretty close working relationship. 
in this and I guess many other matters. So, Tom, the Kings Point, the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy is one of the key maritime service academies that produces uh, merchant mariners for service in, in the U.S. fleet. And so we work very closely with the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy to ensure that their curriculum and their training and education program produces mariners that meet Coast Guard certification standards. And so we have a long history of working with the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy to ensure that they're producing the mariners that uh, the nation needs to uh, provide for our economic prosperity and our national security. And for a ship officer to be convicted of sexual assault, then the same sanctions that anyone else would get on land would apply to instances at sea. If you're talking about a criminal conviction, that's absolutely correct. But in addition, there there could be administrative sanctions that would come from Admiral Mager's team. So they could so, lose their license? That's right, Tom. Anybody that violates U.S. law or is convicted of misconduct on board a vessel is subject to uh, administrative proceedings against their merchant mariner license and could bar them from working in the industry. Tom, I, I just come back to you know what I said at the outset, that uh, sexual assault and sexual harassment have no place in the maritime industry. All of the mariners have a right to a safe and respectful uh, work environment. Their safety, our safety, all depends on it. And sexual assault is a crime when it happens on board a U.S. vessel. The Coast Guard will investigate it with trained investigators, and we will hold offenders accountable. Michael? Sexual harassment certainly is on the continuum of harm, but the legal consequences in a civilian world are very different. Sex assault gets you prison. Sex harassment may get you fired. It may get you retrained. You may have to go to specific sensitivity and training courses, but they're radically different. Sex assault, we investigate as a crime and we seek to prosecute and put people in jail. Sex harassment, we deal with administratively and regulatory. Can harassment also result in, say, that administrative action, loss of a license? or It can. And so, again, if there is a demonstrate example of harassing behavior or misconduct, that can be uh, grounds for revocation, suspension or revocation of license. Rear Admiral John Mauger is Assistant Commandant of the Coast Guard for Prevention Policy, and Michael Burkow is Director of the Coast Guard Investigative Service. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Take the Federal Drive with you. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970 and then 
as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. 
I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.